Report, I'm Eric Jensen. The Jazz lose 116-112 against the Los Angeles Clippers. Donovan Mitchell with 35 points in the loss, with most of them coming in the second half. Kawhi Leonard leads the way for the Clippers with 29 points. An unfortunate loss for Utah State last night, 81-77 against Boise State as they get swept despite Namias Keda's Incredible double-double night in which he posted 30 points. The Aggies are scheduled to play Nevada next week, but are currently dealing, but the Wolfpack are currently dealing with COVID-19 issues, so that is something to keep an eye on as the weekend progresses. Some updates from around the state of Utah in college basketball, BYU and Utah in action this week. BYU with an 80-52 win over Pacific as they mull dropping out of conference tournament play. And Utah get down early and get blown out by Oregon State who win 74-56. Timmy Allen with 24 points in that one and still looking promising as an NBA prospect in the loss. Now back to Utah Car Sense with Austin Horton on 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The following is paid programming. The views, claims, and opinions of this program do not necessarily reflect those of The Zone Sports Network, its management, or staff. You're listening to Utah Car Sense with Jeff Miller and Austin Horton. Presented by Mark Miller Subaru on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back, Eric Jensen there with the sports update. George Roska in from the uh, Midtown store with me, Austin Horton. George, you're a jazz fan, right? Oh, Awesome. Sorry, we lost tough, you there. Tough loss last night. Lost you there for a second, George. You're a jazz fan, right? Yeah, absolutely. Lo- love the Jazz. Love the year so far. T- tough loss last night, but uh, no, go Jazz. Last night uh, it was a tell of two halves, really, and you can't – and look, I-, I I think the Jazz are a legitimate contender like a lot of people out there do. I did grow up a Jazz fan. I am still a Jazz fan. I also have to be a, a radio guy. And I have to look at it objectively, and sometimes I struggle with that. And so I, I wonder if I see it a little too jazz-colored uh, sometimes. But I do think that they're a legitimate championship contender. But they're getting down in the first half too often to to really. There's gonna it's gonna come back to get you. And last night was the case. Uh, but they are still playing incredible basketball, and I'm not too concerned about that loss last night. That was one of the uh, three teams that stands in the way of the Jazz trying to win a championship, and they almost matched them even while shooting poorly. So uh, I think that that was, as Donovan Mitchell called it, you don't you don't want to lose. You never want to lose, but that was just a bump in the road and maybe a good bump in the road for the Jazz to know where and how they can fix some things and polish some things up. Yeah, sometimes you need those tough losses to kind of, you know, gel the team together, make you realize that, okay, we've got we to start these games out better. We can't just wait for the second half and, and hope that we turn it on. Um, but I did like that they fought back. They got close. And, uh, no, I don't, I don't think it, uh, it spells the end of the Jazz or anything. And definitely a title contender for sure. 855-340-ZONE if you'd like to be part of the show. What cars remind you of your grandparents? 855-340-ZONE or any other question, comment, or story you've got for us. 855-340-ZONE. George, tell us what's going on with the chip scarcity 
the microchip. Uh, we've, we've seen auto industry factories and plants shut down because of COVID. We've seen uh, because of weather currently, the, the extreme weather that we're having in the Midwest and then the South in Texas. But tell us about the chip shortage and how big of a concern is this for the auto industry? Um, it's starting to be a growing concern. You know, we, we heard some, uh, some first rumblings about it kind of at the beginning of the year. And uh, the reason the, the chip shortage is out there is really because everybody's been working from home. So everybody's been upgrading their laptop, their iPad, their cell phone, their TV, that, you know what I mean? Everything takes these semiconductors and, and they're in everything from, from your AirPods to your calculator to your car. I mean, your car has thousands and thousands of thousands of these semiconductors in them. And right now, basically what we're hearing out in the market is that for 2021, basically the global production of semiconductors is maxed out. You know, all the foundries are running at, at full capacity. Um, it's, it's not like they can really build anymore without building more manufacturing capacity, which that in of itself takes time. So basically the auto industry is left fighting with the consumer electronics industry and they kind of have the not first go at it, but they basically order all these all these chips ahead of time and the auto suppliers are kind of left basically scraping the bottom of the barrel there and uh, they've had to cut back production i know gm's um tempered down their profit forecast for the year by a couple billion dollars so it's it's not you know small change it's going to impact it quite heavily yeah a couple hours ago car and driver had, had a bit of, bit of an update and they they think they're they're projecting that globally the shortage will cost the auto industry 61 billion dollars through and through the first quarter of this year 1 million fewer vehicles will be produced worldwide than was produced in the first quarter last year uh this is it's because of the the chip shortage and subaru has not been immune to it subaru's lost production uh, so has, as you made, made uh, mention of, GM, Ford, Stellantis, Toyota, Volkswagen, Honda, Nissan. They've all adjusted some uh, of their plants to properly allocate the chips that are available. I guess the the good news is if you have the, the means to open a semiconductor factory, there's a lot of demand for it right now. You'll probably get rich real quick. Yeah, but these plants aren't easy to get up and running. It's not like you can start one of these things up in one or two months. Um, I mean, it's going to take time. And by then, the demand for it might not be there. So it's a big investment, high risk. Not you know, not a lot of companies have the, the technical know-how to even do this. A lot of it's based in, in Asia and in China. Um, I don't think we have very much semiconductor manufacturing in the United States, no. although there is some of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a tough spot to be in. Yeah. In fact, do we have, let's see, do we, I can't even think of one company name, uh, in the United States that, uh, manufactures semiconductors, but perhaps there, uh, there has to be, right? There's a few, I think there's a couple, there, there's even one down in Lehigh, but it's, it's oh. not a big manufacturer. And I mean, you have Intel, you have Texas Instruments, you have Micron, you have NVIDIA, and I think some of them do have um, manufacturing in the, in the States, but the majority of it is, is based in Asia. I think like 90% of, of semiconductors uh, built or, or, um, are ever made in Asia. What was Micron's original name? It wasn't Micron there in Lehigh, was it? It was uh, uh, I Am Flash, right? That's I Am it, Flash, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, I Am Flash. 
855 zone So, and my wife, who works in the the cell phone industry, they haven't really been seeing this hit them yet. But I would assume that that's going to happen to them as well, George. It's going to happen to them, but they kind of put their orders in well ahead of time, right? So the phones that are being manufactured today, those semiconductors were ordered last year, basically. So you've got long lead times there. So you're not seeing that that production impacted much in the consumer electronics industry. And for example, Apple, they make their own silicone, you know, they they make their own chips. Samsung makes their own chips. So they're really the big players they've kind of taken that pinch point out of their supply chain and realized just how important it is to guarantee that manufacturing. And and then they've just taken it over themselves. 855-340-ZONE. If you'd like to be part of the show, 855-340-ZONE. I read a piece recently from Lee Benson in the Deseret News, George, and I, I had never thought of this before. And I'd certainly never thought, oh, that must have started in Utah. But uh, I thought I'd read some excerpts from it and see if you found it as fascinating and interesting as I, as I did. Do you know the name Lester Wire? First of all, let's start there. Have you ever heard the name Lester Wire? I have not. He was a police detective in the uh, early 1900s. Uh, in 1912, four years after Henry Ford introduced the Model T and automobiles were competing with trolleys, wagons, buggies, horses, the occasional bicycle, and pedestrians for right-of-way in the roadways. There was no real plan other than fistfights for handling traffic snarls at intersections. Into the problem came a 24-year-old cop named Lester Wire. Now, he had gone to law school at the University of Utah, but dropped out because he couldn't afford it, and then picked up a career uh, as a law enforcement uh, in law enforcement. And in 1912, he was, a, he was named... Uh, head of the Salt Lake uh, Police Department's, uh, what they call it, the, the, the department, or excuse me, the traffic squad. The first ever traffic squad, he was named the head of that department. And Lester Wire looked at the, the busy intersections around Salt Lake in the valley and said, okay, I can put a cop in the middle of each intersection to direct traffic. But the problem was he had more busy intersections than he had traffic cops. And even then, the traffic cops were balking at the idea, and who wouldn't, of standing in the middle of the road and and dodging vehicles and and buggies and bicycles and, and pedestrians. And so as he thought about it, he had a light bulb moment, literally, according this is how Lee Benson writes it. Why not connect lights to the trolley wires a red one for stop, a green one for go, and place them in a box on top of a pole in the middle of the intersection. And just like that, Lester Wire had invented the world's first ever traffic light. Right here in in downtown Salt Lake City. In fact, it was at the intersection of 200 South and Main, just a few blocks from here at the Vivint Smart Home Arena uh, in, in 1912. It looked like a birdhouse. It literally, it was just this this birdhouse-looking box with a red light and a green light. And the cop in the middle of the intersection would just switch it with a light switch and turn it towards the, the turn it red, turn it towards the cars, they would stop. Turn it green, turn it towards the other cars, they would go. So it was very primitive. Uh, but before he could really, you know, put this in and make, make himself a multimillionaire with this idea, World War I rolled around, 
he was uh, he joined up, joined the army, went to France, and returned in 1919. And seven years later, by that time, everywhere else in the world had copied his idea and had improved upon it and now had added the yellow light and automatic timers and things like that. And it, it, he, he had to stay a cop, and he was a detective until he retired in 1946, died in 1958. And, uh, but anyway, the original, by the way, was lost. They, they gave the original to the Tracy Aviary, who used it as an actual birdhouse. So they took the lights out of it, George, and used it as an wow. actual birdhouse at the Tracy Aviary. When he died, his family wanted to track it down, but the Tracy Aviary had misplaced it. The box had disappeared. And so UDOT now has an exact replica at their headquarters here in Salt Lake. But I had never, A, thought of who invented the traffic light, and B, I had never dreamed that it'd be right here at 200 South and Main in Salt Lake City. What a cool story. And bummer that it was lost to history, you know, that we don't have the original and they didn't quite know what they had and, and the value of that, you know, at the time. But uh, yeah, looking back, what, wow, what a what an amazing uh, invention. And too bad that he didn't, uh, you know, get to make some profit off of it. Yep, absolutely. But Lester Wire. Uh, we, we owe him a, a thanks for thinking up a solution for the, the busy intersections. Uh, and, and next time I'm cursing at a, a really short green turn arrow, I'll just say, okay, Lester, you, you could have you done a little something here, but uh, thanks for starting it anyway. Hey, at least you don't have to fist fight your way through traffic anymore. That would have been uh, pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, no duels at 200 South and Main anymore. All right, 22 proposals here in the state of Utah from the Clean Air Caucus, a bipartisan group of Utah legislators for the House of Representatives and the Senate, looking at various ways to handle the state's air quality problems. They've come up with 22 legislative proposals that tackle air quality concerns. Let's talk about a few of them, George. House Bill 123, Feasibility Study for Air Quality Laboratory. Handy, the bill's sponsor, Stephen Handy, uh, I think Stephen, said this bill will create a commission to look into the potential for a world-class laboratory to study air quality. He said he believes the ideal location for the lab would be where the outgoing Utah State Prison is located. So that's that's House Bill 123. Let's turn the old prison into a laboratory to study air quality. Uh, world class, by the way. So we're talking about creating some jobs as, as well, and people uh, leaving where they are to come live here and and uh, study the air quality. House Bill 131, State Facility Energy Efficiency Amendments, or SFIA. <laughs> okay. This bill, which already passed both the House and Senate unanimously, requires a study of utilities at all of the 3,500 state buildings for better utility management. So instead of looking at transportation here, George, they're looking at the air quality coming out of the air conditioner and heater units and other utilities on the top of the public buildings. House Bill 145, Clean and Renewable Energy Requirement Amendments. Representative Ray Ward of Bountiful said this bill that he is sponsoring would adjust goals for renewable energy that the state passed over a decade ago. The new goal would be for the state to reach 50% renewable energy by 2030, 
which he said, quote, is not an unrealistic goal. I don't know where we're at uh, right now, George. 50%, so half of our energy by 2030 would be renewable is the goal that uh, Representative Ward is suggesting. I don't know where we're at right now. Do you? I think we're below 20, if I if I remember right. I don't have the exact data in front of me, but I know we're still heavily um, coal-powered, um, although the natural gas sector is growing, but neither of those would count as renewable. Um, so I think 50% would be awesome, although I think when we set goals, we should set you know some bigger goals, not ones that could be easily accomplished, is, is just my opinion on it. Um, and we need to, to increase the investment in this tenfold. Um, but uh, I do like some of the proposals being put out. I, I, I like the, the lab idea. Um, we need more data. We need to know, our, you know what's in the air so we can address it and fix it. Um, but you know, starting out with the buildings, I, I know buildings, they're talking about becoming the single source or the single largest source of, of pollution contribution to the valley here after 2030 as we move more and more cars to electric and to clean burning um, you know, gas, cars aren't gonna be the main source of pollutant and it's gonna to move to buildings. And so that's a, that's a good thing that they are looking at that. Now here's one we've touched on in the past and I'm interested to see where you stand on it now. House Bill 209, the vehicle registration fee revisions. It, was, uh, it, it, it passed in the House, but uh, Ray Ward again of Bountiful is opposed to it. It would raise registration fees for electric and hybrid vehicles 150% to 400%. Uh, he says that he's, uh, he, he thinks that they should rise, but a fair rate in registration fees for electric and hybrid vehicle owners. George, why should a, an electric vehicle or hybrid vehicle owner pay higher registration fees than a combustion engine owner? Well, the thinking is, is that because they don't, um, you know, a hybrid, a plug-in hybrid or an electric car, you're not going to be using as much gas or no gas at all. In the case of an electric car, you're not paying any gas tax. Mm. And so they're looking at recouping that money, basically. And, and I can speak to that. You know, I've, I bought a hybrid about six months ago. I have put gas in it once. I have put 11 gallons of gas in six months. Oh, I hate you. And so I haven't paid much gas tax. <laughs> and so they're looking at recouping that. But But my thinking is they need to actually incentivize the adoption of plug-in and electric cars, not try to tax them higher or at the same rate as a gas burning car because they do provide um, societal benefits, whether it's through less uh, tailpipe pollutions. Um, we need to find a way to convert our fleet over to that. And frankly, they should be looking at other sources of taxation to replenish that, that lost revenue. So... So you're saying the incentives, which are there, but they, they shrink, and it, it's based, it has a cap on how many specific cars are sold. You're saying those incentives should be higher rather than the registration fees? Well, I'm saying the state should incentivize it. The, the incentives that you're talking about, they're federal tax incentives. I see. The state of Utah isn't incentivizing at this point the purchase of plug-in or electric cars at all. In fact, they're trying to raise the registration fees to offset the loss of gas tax. And, and I think the registration fees should be the same. Find a different way to replenish the lost revenue that you would have from the gas tax. Is it true that electric cars are heavier than combustion? Uh, they engine? can be. Yeah, yeah, they can be. And so the, the idea, as you mentioned, the gas tax that is supposed to be going towards road maintenance and repair 
those that are driving electric vehicles and not filling up at the, the gas station aren't paying those gas taxes to repair the road, but they're still damaging the road by driving on it. Correct. But we already um, we already incentivize some um, like heavy, uh, uh, you know, tractor trailers and uh, semis. Yeah, we incentivize basically because they take a heavier toll on the road than, than a passenger car does. We're not taxing them at a higher amount. It's still the same gas tax on that car. So maybe what we should be doing is looking at taxing the, the gas tax at a higher rate or, you know, I've, I've heard different proposals on that, but I personally am opposed to them raising the registration fees on, on, on electric cars. And it's not just because I own one, it's because I think it'll, um, it'll make it to where the adoption rate is, is not as high. I, I hear what you're saying, because if I were considering buying an electric car uh, to, to help the environment, to, to help the reliance on fossil fuels shrink, to all these things, to, to help my bank account so I'm not filling up at the gas station so often, and then I get to the registration it's, and it says, okay, you're going to register for $1,000 this fee, I, I'm not going to be able to A, afford it, or B, want to pay that. So the yeah. other, what you're suggesting is instead of hiking up on the registration fee, find a different way to tax or, 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 or uh, charge those electric vehicle owners that still incentivizes them to actually get electric vehicles. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, alternative fuel incentives amendments, House Bill 223, uh, Representative Ballard said this bill would put hydrogen-fueled vehicles in the same class of tax incentives as other alternative fuel vehicles. The format is currently not incentivized in the state. So going along those same lines, if you've got a hydrogen-fueled vehicle, there is no tax incentive currently for having a hydrogen-fueled vehicle in the state of Utah. So they would like to add that. Now, I don't, I, I don't know if I've ever seen in person a hydrogen-fueled vehicle. Have you? There's a couple out there. I've never seen one in person. Toyota makes one that I think they've been selling in California for a few years. Um, that There's not a lot, but I know that uh, investment in the sector is increasing. Um, a lot of the um, look at hydrogen that I know like Daimler is, is putting into their trucks. Um, so you might see to where passenger cars and SUVs tend to go more towards the plug-in battery route. And then you start seeing heavy-duty trucks and, and trains really go to, to hydrogen to replace diesel. Um, but the the technology is still changing. I was just reading the other day about this cool new paste, basically, that they developed that's like a hydrogen paste. So you put this cartridge in your car, and it basically runs off that hydrogen paste. Because really, the, the whole challenge with hydrogen is, A, how do you refuel it, and B, it's basically a driving bomb down the road that if something <laughs> right. happens with that hydrogen, you know, it's, it's, it's quite dangerous. So um, I, I love the, the idea of hydrogen. If, if we can make it to where it's, it's efficient and we can safely refuel them, um, I think it's a great technology. Well, when are we going to get the flux capacitor that just takes our <laughs> banana pills and, and tin cans and turns it into fuel? That's what we need is we you feed know, we the wanna... garbage to the car and the car works. We, we wanted flying cars and trans and teleporters and all this stuff. And, and we ended up with Bitcoin and Twitter. So that's where <laughs> our technology kind of went. Uh, just a few more to, to uh, power through. Then we'll take a break. Utah Clean Energy Fund. Uh, Rep Representative Joe Briscoe of Salt Lake City says that uh, in a few years, one or two years, President Joe Biden is going to be issuing funding for clean energy. And the, the, the jazz, the Utah uh, legislation will need a fund to accept those federal monies. 
and a good chunk of it would go toward communities uh, switching to renewable energies. But they, so I guess what Representative Briscoe is saying, the Fed is going to want to give us money. We got to have a bill now that creates that fund so that when they want to give us money, we have somewhere to put it. Yeah, you got to be ready and you got to be you got to have a plan on what to do with the money or else you might not get as much of it. Correct. HCR5 resolution encouraging statewide emissions reduction goals. Uh, the upcoming proposed resolution will aim to set targeted goals in relation to limiting carbon dioxide emissions in the future. That is reducing 2005 emissions levels 25 percent by 2025 which the state is already on track to complete, and 50% by the end of this decade, 80% by 2050. He said the uh, Representative Handy says the resolution was a result of working in coordination with the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute about the subject. So, so the, the state is on target by 2025 to reduce carbon dioxide emissions by 25%. This then adds that by 2030 will be reduced by 50% and by 2050 reduced by 80%. George, that by 2050 then would imply that we're selling a lot less combustion engine cars. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, if you've been reading the automotive news over the last really month, um, a lot of car manufacturers have announced that they're going to be switching basically their whole fleet over by, and, and a lot sooner than that, by 2030, some, some of them even sooner. Uh, I think Jaguar put a thing out by 2025, GM by 2035, Ford in Europe by 2030. Um, they're going to be selling basically electric cars only. So that goes to show you just how quickly this change is going to come. And, you know, a lot of the R&D um, that's being put or the, the research and development dollars that are being invested today, they're not being invested in, in gas engines and, and internal combustion engines. They're being invested in electric and hybrid and um, hydrogen. So that's that's the way of the future. And uh, I think here in Utah, we got to get on board with that. 855-340-ZONE. What cars remind you of your grandparents? 855-340-ZONE. Coming up on the other side, we'll... Have a final half hour to go here on Utah Car Sense, and we've got a lot to jam in there, including a massive sinkhole swallowing cars, the 10 cheapest new cars for 2021, and uh, another Tesla story. They've invented a, uh, a feature for their cars that allows you to do things the minions of Gru would find funny. That and more next on Utah Car Sense. You're listening to Utah Car Sense with Jeff Miller and Austin Horton. Presented by Mark Miller Subaru on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Johnny, Johnny Cash, y'all. Welcome back, Utah Car Sense. Austin Horton, George Roska in today from the Midtown Store. Taking your phone calls at 855-340-ZONE question comment story or uh answer the poll question 855-340-ZONE poll question today name us a car that reminds you of your grandparents 855-340-ZONE let's get out to the phone lines arnie waited through the break good morning arnie good morning hey you know my father was born in 1893 
So wow. that kind of helps to put my story into perspective. He had a 1941 Packard four-door sedan. The back doors open to the rear rather than to the front yeah. that a four-door would do nowadays. And uh, it had blinds that you could pull down over the back <laughs> door windows. And it had a column gear shift. And I used to drive that car out on the dry farm roads here in the Salt Lake Valley until I got caught. And the policeman put down that I was 16. My father said, well, you better get a driver's license then. So I got my driver's license when I was 14. Wow. So that was a a wonderful automobile. And then uh, I had a... A 1932 Ford Roadster, which was a fun, fun little vehicle to drive. And uh, then I had a a 51 Chevrolet Coupe that I put a a Corvette engine in it with triple carbs and all kinds of other goodies. So older cars was fun. Oh, my brother had, one of my brothers had a 51 Studebaker was a lime green, ugliest thing you'd ever seen. And uh, it had that bullet front end on it. So those are some of my memories from cars when I was young. Thank you, Arnie. Thank you. That, that's a that's a collection there. A lot of classic, classic cars. And uh, the, the Packard, uh, George, you're a, you're a Back to the Future fan, right? You know that movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The Packard, uh, I think it was a Packard... A custom Packard Eight. Uh, it was Doc Brown's convertible that Marty drove to the dance, and the the back door also opened as as uh, Arnie was describing towards the rear. So you opened the the doors. One, the front door opened like you do now, uh, but the back door opened to the rear, and so you had that big wide open space to get in and out of the car. Kind of cool. Yeah, beautiful. Eight five five three four zero zone. If you'd like to be part of the show. Now, uh, talking about uh, Tesla earlier, in the, we forgot to mention that they've come up with uh, the, the brain powers that be at Tesla have done a lot of research and time and sacrifice and money has been spent into a new feature that applies only to the, to the models with built-in speakers, but Tesla's new boombox feature. Have you heard about this, George? George? Uh, you know, it's probably one of the latest gimmicky things that they're doing, but I have not heard about this one. The It's called the Tesla Boombox, and it allows you to, rather than honking your horn and it just sounds like a car horn, it allows you to customize the sounds that come out of your vehicle towards other vehicles and other people. And the one they're marketing it with the most is the fart noise. <laughs> of course they are says you can uh, customize the sound your car makes when you press the horn drive the car or when your car is moving with summon select an option from the drop down menu you can even fart towards unsuspecting neighboring cars and pedestrians so give them a little toot toot uh huh I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I just got uh, a new little uh, chime for my ring doorbell, that, that, and you can choose different sounds that it makes when someone presses the doorbell. And one of those sounds is a bunch of Dobermans barking angrily. 
so that uh, someone will think that you've got an angry Doberman on the other side of the door. That makes some logical sense. A car making a fart noise only makes sense in a bad Mr. Bean movie, right? You know, I could probably think of a couple other instances where you'd want to use that. Okay. Uh, maybe you've got that guy in the in the fast lane that's just camping out there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you just want to, you don't want to quite be rude, but you want to just get his attention a little bit. And that might be just appropriate for that, uh, for that one instance. <laughs> so stupid. This is so, so stupid. All right. Uh, a massive sinkhole has opened in southern Italy, swallowing at least three cars and briefly cutting power at a nearby hospital. Neighborhood neighborhood homes, including one for recovering COVID-19 patients, were evacuated, but there appeared to be no injuries, thankfully, caused by the crater in Naples. The COVID-19 residence house housed six patients, and they have been relocated. The sinkhole opened under the largely empty visitor's parking lot of the Hospital of the Sea. Electricity and water service were briefly interrupted, but backup systems allowed operations to continue in the hospital. Quote, frankly, we were also worried about the collapse of all utilities and that the activity of the hospital could be jeopardized, close quote, said regional governor Vincenzo De Luca. By the way, Italians have such cool names. I mean, Austin Horton pales in comparison to Vincenzo DeLuca. Yeah, no, I got to say, I, I would much rather be Vincenzo DeLuca at that point. <laughs> You've got a cool name too, though, Rosca. That's pretty cool. It, it, it's okay. It's not like Vincenzo, though. It'd be Vincenzo Rosca would sound better, you know. <laughs> Here's how big the hole was. You ready? 21,527 square feet and 66 Whoa. feet deep. That is massive. That's like a football field. It is the size of a of a high school football field. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's almost a hundred yards by fifty yards, is essentially yeah. what, what we're looking at here. And or excuse me, by twenty yards wide. And it, uh, you look at the pictures. It looks like a meteor struck the Earth, and right there, right there, down in the bottom, a couple of cars. Yikes, yeah. Bad, uh, bad choice of parking spot. Yep, yep. Uh, and luckily there were only three cars, I guess, that were parked there. 855-340-ZONE. I believe Jeff is on the line. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, what's Hi. up, Jeff? Is it, hey, the governor signed, I think, for that fuel for the uh, gasoline. It's supposed to be better for the environment. Do you know yeah. when that's coming out? Or how do you know, how, uh, you know which one it is? So I believe you're referring to the tier three gasoline. Um, it's been in some in some gas stations, I believe, for about a year now. Although they are working on rolling it out, um, I believe there's a website you can go to. If you hang on tight, I'll find that out for you where you can find that uh -huh. tier three gas. I know Chevron stations have. It's just them. Uh, tier three gas.org, George. There you go, tier3gas.org. If you'll check that out, it will give you a, a list of where you can find that. I missed this, though. What The governor signed to make it more widely available. Is that what it was? No, he, he uh, well, yeah. He put it on, I'm not exactly sure the whole thing, but I remember just catching a little bit of it. That he signed a bill that, you know, this gas will help clean the valley up a little bit. Yeah, it does burn It'll cleaner. Burn a little yeah. better. Yep, yeah. for sure. So tier3gas.org, uh, and yep, right there, state of Utah map with little green gas station, uh, gas pump 
icons to tell you, you where know, to find it. Do you know if it's more expensive or probably not then, do you? Uh, I don't know, George. What is the price for uh, two, No, I don't think it is more expensive. I think the only one that at this point is more expensive is the ethanol free. And that one is pretty yeah. hard to find. But uh, no, the tier three gas is the uh, same price as, as the other tier two. Um, and from my understanding, it, it, it just has less sulfur in it. Um, so it's going to yeah. burn cleaner and, and not leave as many uh, pollutants in the valley afterwards. So yeah, go out and get some tier three gas. Okay. All right. Hey, thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff. Thanks for calling in. Uh, speaking of gas, George, I have shared this uh, plight with the Zone listeners already this week, but I have an electric lawnmower, and I really, really, really like it. It, it does the job. It, I don't have to worry about gasoline and storing gasoline and getting the carburetor fixed and oiled up and, and the, pulling the choke, and, the, and I, I, just, I just love it. But... Because I loved my my uh, electric lawnmower so much that when I moved and needed a snowblower, I bought an electric snowblower that I could use the lawnmower battery with. Yeah. Well, the, the problem being, the electric snowblower was f- almost $400, and it doesn't do anything. It's, I'd be better served scooting the snow with my foot than uh, this <laughs> stupid snowblower. So I had to save up for the last year, knowing that I would need to buy an actual uh, snowblower that will get the job done this winter. and uh, But I was concerned about, you know, you got to mix the oil with the gas and put it in. Well, no, not, that's not true. I got a model that it has the oil, 5W30, and you just put ethanol-free gas in the tank and you just let it go. And it just does its thing. I think we're getting really, really, really uh, better at combustion engines as well as improving uh, towards electric and hybrid vehicles and not just vehicles i think and even utilities yeah no absolutely so poor you you were waiting all year for an actual snowstorm where you had to use your snowblower and you were probably so excited and then because we got this really heavy wet snow your snowblower was completely useless that well and so i just bought the new snowblower a couple days ago Oh, okay. Uh, because so of that, have it waiting. that heavy, heavy wet snow we got about killed me. Uh, well, I'll tell you, I don't think it was the electric because I, I witnessed multiple neighbors with gas engine snowblowers uh, just throwing expletives out in the air. <laughs> they could not get past, you know, their stairs, basically, before they all got gunked up with uh, with how that cement snow that we had. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, although uh, my neighbor, a couple houses away, came out when I was about halfway done with my driveway, fired up his big snowblower and finished well before I had finished. And he did the neighbor next to him. So uh, it, 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 it depends on where you are in the valley, I guess. But yeah, you got to get the heavy duty stuff out. I was grateful for that neighbor, though, because it convinced my wife that, yeah, I do need to spend this money on an actual snowblower. So 855 340 zone. Mike has been waiting. Hi, Mike. Hi. I enjoy your show very much. And it reminded me of cars that I owned. Um, and I'll just discuss three of them. Okay. Uh, when I was six, six, 16, I bought a 57 Pontiac uh, that had been in a little bit of a wreck and uh, rebuilt the engine. We we took the 389 up to over 410 cubic inches, put an Escadarian tappet ca- roller tappet cam in it and wow. dual dual four-barrel AF uh, uh, four-barrels, 1120 CFM per minute. Uh, so it got about three miles to the gallon. Then I sold that and... <laughs> 
and I read the February edition of 1962 Mortar Trend magazine about a new car that Ford was introducing, a 406 cubic inch uh, 62 uh, uh, Ford um, with 435 horsepower. So I went down to my local dealer. I had saved up some money and I made a deal and I wanted one. I took the magazine. I said, hey, I want one of these. And they kept trying to talk me into this red convertible. <laughs> and, oh, no, this is what you need. This is what you I said, no, I want one of these. So they ended up trading with uh, another dealer, downtown Ford, which in Los Angeles, which became a, a big a drag racing center years later. <laughs> and I got one. And it wasn't until years later, long after I sold it, checking the Ford registry, which they had put together for these muscle cars, that what I had was one of twelve, only twelve made oh my that were made that were made with a blueprinted uh, NASCAR block, and then upgraded with all the right cams and everything for oh, drag racing. No, <laughs> you and, sold uh, it. Cool. Oh. Yeah, and it, it it probably at one point was well worth over one hundred and twenty-five thousand, but somebody else owned it by then. Oh. And then then I did end up having a. 66 Pontiac GTO 389 with the tri-power. So, all fun cars. Wish I had them all back. So, Mike, I take it you like small engine vehicles. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> those are some horses, yeah. all three of those cars. That's right. Wow. Yeah, and, the tor of course, you know, it's interesting. They, they couldn't even keep up with the small turbocharged, high-powered cars today. Hmm. But, boy, did they have a lot of torque and could – you know, that Ford could just about pick the front wheels off under the right circumstances. <laughs> well, well they sounded good, too. You know, which one was your yes. favorite, Mike? That 62 Ford. That 62, 62 Ford. Ford. It, it, it wasn't a beauty in terms of style, but it uh, it just it rumbled and it reeked of power. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'd love to drive any and all three of those. That, that, those are good cars, Mike. Thanks for calling in and yeah. sharing them with us. You Thanks for listening to and the compliment. Appreciate it. 855-340-ZONE. Got just a couple moments left in the show if you want to sneak in a question, comment, or story. George, uh, cars, new cars are getting more and more expensive every year, and that's not only exclusive to cars. That's clothes. That's uh, vacations. That's food. That's phones. That's computers. It's Everything and anything you consume or use is going up in price year after year. It's called inflation. Well, there are still a handful of new cars that are being sold for under $20,000, which I was really surprised by. Now, I don't know that I would want uh, any of these vehicles, but here's a list from Car and Driver of the top 10 cheapest new cars for 2021. You ready? Ready. The Hyundai Venue sells for nineteen nine twenty five. It looks like the old uh, Colt. Who, who made the Colt back in the eighties? I can't remember who made it, but that's what it reminds me of. Was it Dodge that made the Colt? Can't remember. Uh, the Hyundai. Dodge. The Hyundai Veloster sells for nineteen eight ninety five. Little two door coupe. You see him around. The uh, Subaru Impreza, nineteen thousand seven twenty. See, at least one you own there. 
Th- that's exactly what I was going to say. This is, and, and it, you can get the four wheel or the two or the four door or the two wheel, but or, excuse me, the four door or the two door, but the all wheel drive vehicle for nineteen thousand dollars, or excuse me, yeah, nineteen thousand seven twenty in Impreza. I'd take that any day, every day. That's a good vehicle. Uh, the Kia Forte is selling for eighteen eight five. The Kia Soul eighteen six. I don't like the Kia Souls. Do you like the Kia Souls? I'm not a fan of the looks, but they drive okay. I rented one on a vacation once, and we we had it for for about a week, and it it did its job. It was a good car. If you want a really boring sedan, the Kia Rio sells for seventeen thousand one uh, fifteen dollars. The Hyundai Accent sixteen thousand three ninety. You've got a Nissan Versa fifteen eight five five. My suggestion there: get the hatchback. If you're going to go with that, uh, the Mitsubishi Mirage, yes, they still make cars. This one, fifteen thousand two ninety. I don't know if you can get that one in the in the United States, can you? The Mirage, maybe you can. I don't know. I think so. I think there's a Mitsubishi dealer just right down the the road from us, so I'll have to stop by and see. Um, but yeah, they're they're all kind of boring, you know. They're they're not bad cars, but they're just they're not that special to drive. And finally, the cheapest on the list, fourteen thousand three ninety five, and probably the ugliest. Sorry, the Chevy Spark for fourteen thousand three ninety five. So if you're in the market for a new vehicle but think you can't afford it, you can. You just have to sacrifice a lot of uh, in a lot of different areas. Otherwise, the Subaru Impreza is the one I'd go with on that list for sure. That's the one I'd pick for sure. That's probably the most fun to drive out of all of them. George, it's good to be to have been back with you this week. Hopefully, we can do it again soon. Absolutely. Good to be back, Austin. He's George Roska. Go see him and his people at 3535 South State at the Mark Miller Subaru Midtown store. Check out uh, Roger Parkin and his people at the Southtown store in the Auto Mall. And uh, thanks for uh, joining us. For Brian Priest and Eric Jensen behind the glass and George Roska on Zoom, I'm Austin Horton. We'll be back next week with Utah Car Sense.